Welcome to the GeoMob podcast, where we discuss geo-innovation in any and all forms, be it for fun or profit. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the GeoMob podcast. Today, we're going to continue our series looking at interesting new map books. I'm joined today by Matt Brown and Mike Hall. Matt is the co-author of The Atlas of Imagined Places, which he wrote together with Reese Davies. And the book is illustrated by Mike Hall, who is a freelance cartographer who many geomobsters out there may know because he's spoken at Geomob twice, most recently earlier this year back in February. Gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Wonderful to have you here. Maybe briefly introduce yourselves and let's dive into your new book. Thanks, Ed. It's wonderful to be here, actually. So I've not done anything like this for two years with COVID and everything. So it's great to be doing this kind of thing. So my name is Matt Brown. By day, I'm editor-at-large of Londonist.com, which is a website all about London. And we do feature a lot of maps on there, which is kind of where my interest comes from. I've, I've long dabbled in maps. I've long dabbled in looking at locations from novels, for example, in films. And so, yeah, putting this book together has been an absolute dream. And yes, hi, everyone. My name is Mike Hall, and I am a freelance illustrator, designer, map maker. And uh, yes, yeah, so I've collaborated with uh, Matt and Reese on this book to create the maps which he has done all the hard work of adding all the pins and labels. But it was certainly, it was, it was my role was to create the base maps, essentially, and also to include the illustrations in, in each map as well. So what exactly is an atlas of imagined places? What kind of places are we talking about? Give us, what, what's the idea behind the book? Yeah, so, I mean, this, this is like a 3,000-word essay at the start of the book to explain that point. It's quite detailed. So in, in basic, an imagined place is something from fiction. It could be a novel, a film. TV show, video game, even a radio play that has a fictional name, it's a fictional place, but nevertheless exists on our world. So I've limited the Atlas to our world. So for example, Tolkien's world isn't in there, Narnia isn't in there, because there's no way to map those locations onto the present arrangement of continents of the Earth, even though Tolkien was supposedly set on the Earth, Middle Earth. Um, so, you, you can't really map that. Give us an example then of the types of places. So the, the really sort of well-known ones, you've got, say, Metropolis from Superman. You've got Amity from Jaws. In this country, you've got Emmerdale Farm. And you've got, I don't know, hundreds and hundreds of places from the works of Dickens and Thomas Hardy, Hardy's Wessex towns, for example, like Casterbridge. So it ranges the full gamut, even from ancient legend, places from Greek myth right through to, to sci-fi. There's, there's a bit of everything in there. And, and so what, what made you write this book now? What, what prompted? I wrote it now because nobody else has written it and I wanted to get it done before somebody else came up with the idea because I, I've never seen, I've, there are examples, people do try and map, say, uh, Thomas Hardy's Wessex is a good example, that was, he, he himself published maps in the 19th century of where all of his fictional towns would lie. So within a particular author or a particular filmmaker, maps already exist. But I've never seen anybody combine all these different universes into one atlas. So I, I gave it a go originally on my own website, Londonist, where we made a map of the UK. And we came up with about a thousand places just across, in fact, it was just England and Wales and Scotland. I came about a thousand places, uh, again, from everything from Harry Potter's Hogwarts to to the ancient myths of King Arthur and, and Camelot. Where Where is Camelot? And we, we did, I, I put a sort of first draft version upon the Londonist website and we got our, our readers to submit additions to that map. So it was almost a crowdsourced map of UK or, or England, Scotland, and Wales fictional places, which reached over a thousand locations. And it proved so popular. We, we put it out as a print, sold quite a few copies. And this was just me doing it in Photoshop. I'm not an artist. I managed to put a graphical representation together in Photoshop, a fairly basic one. And it did really well. We got 
hundreds of page, millions of page views, and it's still getting traffic today. So then we thought, Reese and myself, Reese is my co-author, we thought, well, can we expand this idea beyond the UK? I mean, there's, there's a whole world of literature and film out there, especially in the States, you've got all the Hollywood productions. So how, how many places are in the book then? If there, is it really thousands of places? Yeah, so we got to 5,000. Uh, Holy the, cow. Yeah, about 1,000 of those are in the US. Slightly less than 1,000 in the UK. We, we actually cut it down a bit from what I'd originally presented on the Londonist just because we couldn't fit them all in a print version. And then yeah. the rest are spread around the world. So how big is this book? Uh, we should mention at the, at the time we're recording here in kind of mid-September, the book is not yet out. It's coming out at September 28th, you said. Yeah, that's all right. Yeah. So, so how thick is the book? Well, it's it's kind of atlas size. So, if you imagine you sort of, if anyone still has atlases in these days of Google Maps, it's a, it's a kind of big, large book, and it, it runs to about 150 pages. A lot of it is indexed, actually. So, you imagine 5,000 places takes a lot of indexing. So, credit to our indexer, who's actually indexed it twice, once huh. by by location and once by source material. And the maps themselves, there are 18 maps spanning the world: one for the UK, three for the US. Ah, I see. So it's more like you have the UK and then you on the UK map, you have multiple fictitious places. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So you only had to draw 18 maps, Mike. Is that right? Or, I mean, when I say yeah. only. There, there are, well, 21 because the USA is split over three maps. But um, obviously some are denser than others. So USA, over a 1,000 places. Antarctica, I don't think we made 100 places. But but sometimes the, the, the more Spartan maps are the more interesting. It's less crowded and you can really sort of dig into juxtapositions and what fictional worlds are next to other ones. And yeah, some right. of my favourites are the, the less less populated maps. So what was the process for making each map then? Like maybe maybe you can tell us more on the like actual cartographic side. How'd you go about it? Yeah, maybe if I start with that, and then Mike can fo- follow on with the bits he did. So, um, I, I I started out by making simple draft maps. So I just get an outline of say the UK or, or America. Find research with Reese as many places as we could find uh, and just put them down as little pins on the map and by doing that we could see if we needed to reorient the map or spread it out more or or whether we needed to go to two or three pages just how populous these these areas were going to be so once i'd got a working draft like that with all the pins in i'd send it over to mike who would then do the nice illustrated version so mike if you want to talk about your your side yeah so yeah, in terms of putting the maps together, it varied really. Obviously, the process of drawing the actual style of the maps, when you see the maps as they are printed, they're a very kind of particular style which both Matt and also the publisher favoured when they commissioned it at the beginning. So it's very kind of inspired by this kind of antique, you could say maybe 18th, 19th century explorer map style. And it was a it was actually, I remember it was one of the maps I previously designed, uh, one of Europe, which I'd drawn just off my own background, this is a kind of a fun self-initiated project, which publishers cited as as a star reference to say we'd really like a map like like we really like the maps in this book to look like like this one. Okay. So it was a case of just recreating maps of every part of the world, every you know individual map in that same style. In terms of how they were actually drawn, they were put together using Illustrator, Adobe Illustrator, which is the same software I use for all my all my digital maps really. And some of them started out as the simple kind of sort of stock X maps that you can find quite easily online, which was a case of just kind of build you know, sometimes the detail on those detail on those is quite are quite simple. So it's a case of kind of elaborating that a little bit, adapting it here and there, especially where on certain maps there might be a different a slightly different coastline according to that fictional place. Or even like even additional islands. In fact there were lots and lots of uh, fictional islands added in. So, so yes, it was a case of taking these existing 
simple maps and then kind of embellishing those and turning them into something a lot more detailed and you know in, in line with the uh, the style of the book any easier or or more difficult than drawing maps of of actual places in that i guess you have kind of more artistic freedom let's say given that it's a fictitious place but on the other hand i guess you're kind of bound by the book right so any any impact there on the creative process or well let's see it was as I said, you know, there were certain details on some of the maps which were entirely fictional. So certain bits of coastline, certain islands. But it was, it was, I guess the challenge as well was kind of taking sort of maps, rough maps. And, you know, often it'd be a case of cobbling together certain countries from different maps that wouldn't normally be shown on the same map, if that makes sense. Yeah. So, for example, a good example of that is the Central Asia map which covers quite an extensive area. Including, I think it includes the Middle East. It goes all the way up to sort of Kazakhstan, you know, all the Central Asian countries there. And that one proved to be quite a challenge because you, 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 don't, you don't find maps online or printed in atlases like that. You know, they're always very specific. You know, maps of each region and each continent tend to follow the same kind of formula. So that one was an interesting challenge to kind of essentially take details from two separate completely separate places and then most of them into one double page spread so it's things like that which were you know very very interesting from a creative uh, point of view you did a great job of it mike you really did some might sometimes my instructions were, were, were a little bit vague so often you'd get a fictional island it was quite a large island so it had to be mm. even semi-continental size but there's no real map in the source of what it looks like so i'd say to mike we need the island to be about this big but make up your own shape and mm. stick your own rivers in Yes, that's right. That was fun where, especially when you're dealing with a lot of ocean, I think there's two, the two of the maps are just entirely ocean. One's the Atlantic Ocean, the other's Pacific. And in fact, most of the other maps also have these kind of features too. But to kind of draw these these fictional islands completely from imagination was good fun too. You know, and uh, yeah, as, as Matt said, it was, it's just a simple like, okay, it's roughly, roughly triangular shape, for example. In this case, okay, how can I draw something that looks triangular yet convincingly like a real life island? Yeah. Yeah. Any is is there a risk that you kind of offend fans of a particular story or whatever? In the in the, I'm thinking kind of like you know like you have a favorite book and then they turn it into a movie and it kind of you're like oh no that's not how it's supposed to be at all or anything. I mean, is, is there a risk that your map then doesn't oh, match what the fans wanted? Absolutely, very much so. I, I mean, I've I broached this in the introduction to the book that uh, ultimately the the ultimate authority on any of these locations resides with the original author or filmmaker. This is just an interpretation. That said, well, we we did due diligence, did a lot of research. A lot of our information and deductions come from fan wiki sites, for example. So any big franchise from the X Files to Marvel all have at least one major wiki site now where fans will collect right. information. So it might be X-Files, for example, they have a very good gazetteer of all the major towns and villages that feature throughout all the series and, and films of X-Files. So that was a, an absolute goldmine of information. So in a lot of cases, we'll be pretty much aligned with how fandom see their own their own world see that world but again there were some where there will be differences of opinion the the case in point is obviously springfield from the simpsons right so the simpsons creators play with the idea of where is springfield themselves they'll they'll often place it in or hint that it's in different parts of the u.s in the film of the simpsons they climb a mountain and they can see four different states which they name from the top 
but they're four non-contiguous states. So, so we have located Springfield. We have stuck our neck out and pinned it down somewhere. I'm not going to reveal where on this podcast. I think people have to look at the book themselves. Okay. Um, yeah, that's a good incentive for someone to buy the book. If yeah. Like- um, but whenever we've done this, whenever we've used sort of creative interpretation, we've set out the, the, all the major locations have a paragraph or two about why we've chosen the location we have. We always, we always specify our reasoning as to why they were, they are where they are. Well, it's very interesting because some books, you know, I'm thinking here, you know, of, of like the whole Game of Thrones series or the uh, or Tolkien, you know, the map is such an integral part of the story, right? And and it's obvious the author took a lot of time in thinking about it, and you kind of refer back to it, and it you track the journey of the characters on the book. But then you have many others where there is no map, and the geography, you know, it's kind of left just to your imagination and stuff. So obviously, as a as a geo enthusiast, I, I kind of prefer it when there is a map and things like that. But but I guess there's some merit to also having to use your imagination and figure it all out along the way. One of the Best examples is going right back to Gulliver's Travels. Now, we've all heard of places like Lilliput and uh, that unpronounceable one where the talking horses live. So there were five, no, probably 10 or 20 locations from from Gulliver's Travels in the Atlas. And in all cases, uh, Jonathan Swift provides maps of those locations. There is a map of Lilliput. There is a map of the place with the horses and uh, the place with the giants. But he was very playful with them. He'd... In the text, he would talk about them being in one location, whereas his maps would suggest they were in a slightly different location. And uh, and also the sizes would differ from, in the text, he have a small island that's continent-sized in the map. Mm-hmm. And he did that on purpose. It was a kind of satire on how armchair cartographers of the time were imagining far-off continents that they'd never visited or never seen charted, and they were just making them up and then making money by selling these maps, which were totally spurious. So it's a kind of little subtext of, of Gulliver's travels that he's taking the mickey out of these these map makers of the time. It's like the famous story of uh, Albrecht Durer's rhinoceros, right? Mm, Where exactly he that, yeah. drew yeah. the rhinoceros based on third-hand accounts. So, yeah. Which, I mean, my question to each of you, what's your, which was your favorite map in the book? Do you want to go first with that, Mike? Yeah, all the maps uh, were enjoyable to draw, I think. I think my personal favorite map of Japan, actually, because I was lucky enough to visit there about, gosh, when was it, 2016? So about five years ago now. And I've always wanted to draw a map of Japan ever since, but I've never quite had the time or there's other things to you know, do first. And so to have the opportunity to draw the country was good fun. I did enjoy that one. And that one's probably one of the more detailed ones too. Obviously, there's lots of, lots of fictional things going on in uh, Japan. And uh, the illustrations were fun to do for that one as well. Yeah. Oh, right. So are there a lot of illustrations about like sea monsters in the corner and things like that? Or... Yeah, that's right. The Japan one has a little picture of Godzilla emerging from the sea. Right. It's got Very one of those cool. giant robot, those Gundam giant robot things. It's got yeah, that, that one's that one's that one's good fun actually. People enjoy looking at that one, I think. And that, cool. Japan's a good example of how we work together as a team because my co-author Reeves Davis is a massive anime and manga fan, whereas I've barely dabbled in that genre in my life so on my own i couldn't have possibly done that without really difficult research um so so he was able to supply all those locations and mike having physically been to japan uh, also brought something to bear so we very much worked as a team on this and overlapped uh, very neatly in, in our interests and and backgrounds very nice and what about you matt what was your favorite no. yeah as mike says they're, they're all my babies so it's hard to choose amongst them but i i, I like the 
Central America and the South America ones, really, partly because they're bits of the world I, I didn't know that much about and didn't know much about the literature or, or films of. But they've, they've also turned out to be, in my opinion, two of the more beautiful maps in the book. They, they fit space really well. But also the sheer varieties. I mean, take the Central America and Caribbean. You've got, obviously, the Pirates of the Caribbean and all the other pirate stories that pepper those islands, and Robinson Crusoe, of course. And, and then right over near the side, you've got... Jurassic Park and Jurassic World, which are off the coast of Costa Rica. All right. You've got all the Mexican bandit films. You've got, we even had, there's, there's a case of a, this is one of the more unusual entries in the book, a Polish politician who said he'd established uh, relations with a Central American country called San Escobar. And he totally got confused in his head and made up this place, San Escobar, doesn't exist. And the internet took hold of this, and they drew fictional maps of Senas, peppering it with places like, I don't know, there's Al, Al Pacino is a local town in that area. So, so this is a work of fiction that's a combination of a gaffe by a politician mixed with the internet doing what the internet does best, taking the mickey out of somebody and making memes. So, so for, for those reasons, Central America is probably my favourite, the sheer variety and, and different stuff that's on it. Were, were there any books you came across that just proved to be unmappable, where it was too complex or too? Yeah, too, uh, yeah. There's there's various ones. Like there are lots of lots of places where they've got very good, well well realized fictional cities or towns, but they don't really give any clues as to where it might be. It could be any town, any city, even any country. So we huh. have to leave those out. I've noted a few in the introduction. There's one by Italo Cavino. I've forgotten the title. Oh, the, the Invisible Cities. Invisible book. Cities, yes. Yeah, yeah, of course. That's a phenomenal book. Absolutely amazing book about I have 50 cities, all got some kind of exotic feature about them in some way. But it gives very little geographic information about any of them. There's no way to place uh, a map. And the final solution that they're all mirrors of Venice is also kind of unmappable. So reluctantly, I've left that out. And similarly, The Wizard of Oz, The Land of Oz, it goes beyond the film. There's there's all the original books by L. Frank Baum, where he does build up The Land of Oz and all the different regions of it. And it's a bit different to Narnia and Tolkien's Middle Earth in that he does kind of anchor it a bit more towards our Earth. Okay. And Dorothy, the, the heroine, of course, from The Wizard of Oz, features it most of the books. Uh, in one of them, she is cast adrift in the Pacific Ocean and she, she chances across Oz somewhere in the Pacific. But we in, we ended up deciding, it was a very close call thing, we'll leave it off because it, Oz does feel a bit too dreamlike to, to go in this atlas. It doesn't feel like it's a real place in any mappable sense onto our world. Who knows, if we do a second edition, we might revisit that decision. But for now, Oz is not there. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I think it's worth mentioning as well, like uh, for places which are, you know, quote, unmappable, Matt, you came up with an idea for a different, a new symbol, didn't you? Yeah. So kind of just, which kind of, yeah, sorry, you explain. There's places like Hogwarts, for example, which absolutely had to be in the Atlas because it's super famous. Yeah. It's, it's protected by magic in this story. So you can't ever plot it on a map. Okay, get there. It definitively says, in the in the novels of Harry Potter that you, you could never find it using a normal map. So we've just got a swirly logo around it. And we, we've got a dozen or so places like that where we absolutely had to map them, but there's no way to map them. It's interesting to think about this, all these places, you know, I guess one negative of the modern age where everything is so digitized and you have all, all the information at the at the tip of your fingers. And, you know, if I want to bring up pictures of anywhere in the world, I have it instantly. Whereas, you know, 100 years ago, you could have 
if someone said they'd been to established relationships with Sam Escobar or whatever, you know, it, maybe that's true. You know, you wouldn't know. So mm. I guess that has gone missing along the way. So. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of the content is is from the olden days. Actually, we've got a lot of phantom islands in there as well, places that people thought were genuine. I'm sure you've had a podcast about this topic because it's quite. Not yeah, not yet, but I, I do yeah. know the concept, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's wonderful. So we didn't go we didn't go for every single one of those, but we did map the more important ones, and especially those which have subsequently found their way into works of fiction. Well, congratulations! That, that's fantastic, guys. So the book is coming out at the end of the month, and yeah, totally. how, what's What's the best way for people to get it? They can order online or it's going to be in, in shops or, yeah, or how well, are they? I'd always commend going to your, your local bookshop, support your local bookshop. It should be on general release all over the UK and America. I think a few other territories. I don't know about Spain where Mike is. I don't know the plans to publish it there, but yeah, most people should be able to get it, hold of it relatively easily in the bookshops. I get one question related to that. How difficult was it to find a publisher for this book or how did they this? It was really easy, it was a actually. Bit of a process. It was really easy. So I've written books before. I've got a publisher. Okay. I I just talked about this idea with my publisher over a drink one time, and she snapped it up straight away. I I dangled it in front of a few other people as well, and there was interest from other people, but we went with Batsford in the end. I I like Batsford. They're a good publisher. they got history with Matt Books as well. I'm very happy the way it's turned out. Well, I mean, one theme we have talked about here on the podcast over the years is that it feels like there is more interest now in maps and things like that. Also because... You know, previously maps would be like kind of the geeky thing that like one person in each group was kind of the map reader, whereas now everyone's interacting with maps all the time on their phone, right? And so it kind of generates more awareness of it. So very cool. I mean, this is this is fantastic. I, I recommend all of our listeners to to have a look and check it out. Obviously, it goes without saying it would make a great Christmas gift for any any map lover out there. Any any final thoughts, guys? Any final messages for for the GeoMob listeners? Well, I think I mean this. Lovely though a book it makes, I, I I would have ambitions to make a digital version as well because you can do things with a kind of online or app version that you can't do in print. We're limited by space in the print version, but imagine being able to zoom in to cities mm. and seeing even within a city you could see the addresses of your favourite characters. Where does Paddington Bear live? Where does Sherlock Holmes live? Sure. I have a zoomable one and a zoomoutable one where you can see all the moon bases and Mars bases from Star Trek and things. So there's a lot more to be done in this. And uh, if this book sells well, I'll be pitching other ideas, both to the publisher and to online communities to take it forward to, to new levels. All right. Well, what the normal closing question, what's the, what's the best way for people to get in touch with you guys if, if they'd like to learn more or how, how can they how can they reach you? So my, I, I, I'm easily found on Twitter. I'm at Matt from London. All right. And Mike? Yeah, I, I'm quite active on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on there at this is Mike Hall, And that's also my web address, thisismikehall.com. You can find lots of my projects on there, both my own, my own ideas as well as uh, commission projects. Fantastic. We'll make sure to get those in the show notes so people can have a look. And yeah, I advise everyone to check out the Atlas of Imagined Places. Thanks very much, guys, for coming on the show. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, Ed. Thanks, everyone, for joining us today and listening to the GMOP podcast. Hopefully you've enjoyed the discussion. Please don't hesitate if you have any feedback for us or any suggestions for topics that we should cover in the future. You can get the show notes over on the website, which is at thegeomob.com. While you're there, if you're not yet on the mailing list, please do get on the mailing list where we once a month send out an email announcing future events, summarizing past events, and just generally sharing uh, events that you may find of interest. You can also, of course, follow us on Twitter, where our handle is geomob. You can follow Stephen at Stephen Feldman. You can follow me at Fryfogel. 
You can check out Mappery at mappery.org. And of course, if you need any geocoding, please check out my service, which is opencagedata.com. We look forward to you joining us again at a future episode, and of course, seeing you at a future GeoMop event. Hope to see you there soon. Bye.